0: Contemplations before chanting. The Sangha is invited to come back to our breathing so that the collective energy of mindfulness can bring us together as an organism, flowing as a river with no more separation. Let the whole Sangha breathe as one body, listen as one body, chant as one body, transcending the boundaries of a delusive self, liberating us from the superiority complex the inferiority complex, and the equality complex. The heart of perfect understanding, the Bodhisattva standing shed light on the five skandhas and found them equally empty after this penetration he overcame your being this and Shariputra form is emptiness and emptiness is form form is not other than emptiness this is not other than form, the same is true with feelings, perceptions, mental formations and consciousness, listen Shariputra, all dharmas are marked with emptiness, they are neither produced nor destroyed, neither defiled nor immaculate neither increasing nor decreasing. Therefore in emptiness there is neither form, nor feelings, nor perceptions, nor mental formations, nor consciousness, no eye or ear or nose or tongue or body or mind, no form, no sound, no smell, no taste, no touch, no object of mind, no realms of elements from eyes to mind consciousness, no interdependent origins and no extinction of them, from ignorance to death and decay, no ill-being, no cause of ill-being, no end of ill-being and no path, no understanding and no attainment. There is no attainment. The body suffers, grounded in perfect understanding. Find no obstacles for their minds. Having no obstacles, they overcome fear, liberating themselves forever from illusion, realizing perfect nirvana. All Buddhas in the past, present, and future, thanks to this perfect understanding, arrived at full and bright, universal enlightenment. Therefore, one should know that perfect understanding is the highest mantra, the unequal mantra, The destroyer will be Be incorruptible, incorruptible true.
1: A mantra of Prasna Paramita
0: should therefore be proclaimed. Gate, gate, paragate, parasanga, te, te bodhisvagate, gate, paragate, parasanga. ¡Se morir. to established in mindfulness, we are truly present for sitting and walking meditation and for reciting the sutras. May this practice center with this powerful sangha, be supported by the three jewels and holy beings. Protected from the eight misfortunes and the three paths of suffering. May parents, teachers, friends, and all beings within the three realms be filled with the most divine grace, and may it be found that in the world there is no place at war. May the winds be favorable. Practice of the noble community, diligent and steady, ascend the ten bodies of our sages with ease and energy. May the sangha body live peacefully, fresh and full of joy, a refuge for all, offering happiness and insight the wisdom of the awakened
2: Good morning dear friends, everyone here. Good evening dear friends. Today is the 14th of August, right? In the year 2013, and we are in Brook University on our fourth day of the retreat, Happy Teachers Go Change the World. Today we... Uh, we shall do a little meditation. This morning, during sitting meditation, we meditated a little bit about the cloud and water. When you look into this cup of tea, of course, you see the tea. But uh, to meditate means to have the time, to look more deeply. And if you look deeply into the tea, you can see the cloud. You can see a cloud. I think everyone here is able to see a cloud in the tea, right? This tea has former lives. In one of her former lives it was a cloud. Just four days ago it was in the sky as a cloud, floating, having a good time up
1: there.
2: (laughs) Then one day it died and became the rain. The cloud died in order to give place to to the rain, and then you think that the rain has also died. The rain died and gave place to the tea, and in a few minutes. The tea will die in order to give place to a Dharma talk. <laughs> so we can look into the tea and talk to the cloud. The cloud has not really died. It has not died. It was transformed, it's transformed simply into the rain, snow dying. There is only transformation, changing. That is good news. Nothing can die. I don't know how many children are born in the city of Toronto every day. You have to ask the mayor. Or maybe we had to ask Google. Hmm? And we know that many people die in the city of Toronto every day. We don't know how many will die, die today. So when something when something dies, when someone dies, we suffer. We are sorrowful. But if we practice meditation, we look deeply we see that uh, nothing can die. They only transform themselves into something else. It's impossible for a cloud to die. To die means to become nothing. But can a, a cloud become nothing? No, it's impossible. A cloud can become the rain, or the snow, or the ice, but a, a cloud can never become nothing the same thing is true with everything else, including a person. A person cannot die. She can transform herself into someone else, something else, but she cannot die. And if we practice meditation, we can see things like that very deep. So shall we look into the tea and say, hello? My little cloud, I know you are there in the
1: tea.
2: I know that you are you have not died. It's impossible for you to die. You simply transform yourself into the rain. And now you trans- the rain has transformed itself into the tea. So hello my cloud, hello my rain. I know you are there in the tea. And I when I look at the tea I see the cloud. I see the rain. The next time when you eat an ice cream, do some meditation. Looking into the ice cream, there is a cloud inside. And. Uh when we practice meditation, looking deeply, we see that in appearance in appearance, there is birth and death. But looking deeply there is no birth and no death. And some of the scientists, they have found the same thing. Nothing can can die. There is a French gentleman whose name is Lavoisier, he said, rien ne se crée, rien ne se perd. nothing can be born, nothing can die. So this is the meditation on the tea. i show you something else. This is a circle Thầy drawn with Chinese ink. And you know something? There is a cloud inside the circle. There is also tea in the circle. Difficult? No. Because when Thầy does calligraphy, he always mix some tea with his Chinese ink. That is why when you look deeply into the ink, you see the tea inside. And if the tea is inside, the cloud is inside also. And this is the truth. Because every time he does calligraphy. He began to have some tea. He drinks some tea. And and then he pours some of the tea into the Chinese ink, he mixed, and he began to draw a circle or to write. So in this circle there is tea. And this is the truth. You know the tea leaves were discovered first by Buddhist monks. Because they found that when they drink tea, they, they are able to stay awake. So they don't sleep during meditation, sitting meditation. <laughs> <laughs> so the tea has been with the practitioner of meditation for a long time. Generations of practitioners of meditation have been drinking tea to help them stay awake during sitting meditation. And the monk did not put milk or sugar in the tea. It's not authentic. But later on people want to taste better. That is why they put milk and sugar, cream into the tea. But the tea that I use to mix with the ink is has no sugar in it, has no cream or milk in it. And I tell you, tell you another secret. When he began to draw a circle, he began to breathe in. He took about three seconds to breathe in. And he begins here. And he breathed in one second, three sec- two seconds, three seconds. He, 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 he came to this space. And his in breath is ended here. Mm-hmm. And then he began to breathe out. And it takes more time to breathe out, it's about five seconds, in order for him to to join this starting point. That's the way they do they do calligraphy. Breathing in mindfully. Breathing out mindfully. So you do not see only the T in the circle, but you see his in-breath and out-breath. That is a secret. And uh, usually when they breathe in, he concentrates on his in-breath. And when he breathes it out, he concentrates on his out-breath and he may like to smile during, during the out-breath to, to relax his body. There is no tension at all when he draws a circle. Very nice. This is a form of meditation. Drawing a circle, writing, calligraphy is a practice of meditation. And you have peace, you have joy, you have communion with the cosmos uh, during the time you do meditation. Uh, from time to time, he invites all the cells in, uh, in his body to join him in making the circle. Like yesterday, he did like that. He invited all the cells in his body to join him and draw the circle. They draw the circle together, not a person. That's very nice. Everyone is collaborating into making the circle. And there were a time when they invited the whole sangha, his disciples, monks and nuns and lay disciples, to join him in drawing the circle. So don't believe that this circle is run by one person alone. We as a community, we have drawn this circle together. So you can see the Sangha, you can see uh, 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 Thay's disciple in this. Sometimes he invited his teacher, because Thay has a teacher to draw the circle with him and sometimes he invites all his ancestors to draw the circle with him. So during the time he draws circle, he practices his calligraphy. He is in touch with his ancestors, friends, disciples, the ink, the tea, the cloud, the rain, everything. It is very nice to practice calligraphy because this is one form of meditation. It gives you so much joy and peace. You like to practice calligraphy? You like to try drawing a circle while breathing in and out? We have the time to do that today. Okay? So when you hear the the small bell, please stand up and salute the Sangha before you continue outside. Okay? We know that uh, the first uh, Dhamma talk the Buddha gave is on the four noble truths, and that can contain the whole of the Buddha's teaching. And uh, and the first noble truth is about uh, suffering. Buddhism is a very uh, pragmatic. and uh, the existence of uh, your being. Dukkha is your being. Suffering. And suffering is uh, is described as a noble truth. And someone may ask the question, what is so noble about suffering? <laughs> In fact that when we look deeply into the truth of suffering, we can discover other truths. Because we know that suffering is connected with happiness. Suffering is the other side of happiness. It's like the left is on the other side of the right. And we know that this is because that is. And that is the teaching of Buddha. on the on Genesis. This is because that is. This if this is not and then that cannot be. It's so simple. And we can use the term inter be into in order to, to describe that teaching. You cannot be by yourself alone. You have to interbe with the other other the other side. The left cannot be by herself alone. The left has to interbe with the right. The above with the below. The inside with the outside. Birth and death. Being and non-being. They cannot be without each other. They always be. They are together. And that is why the word interbeing is better.
1: <coughs>
2: the other day, <coughs> when uh, we, speak, we spoke about a flower, we saw that a flower cannot be by herself alone. A flower has to interbe with the non-flower elements. And if you remove non-flower elements, there is no flower left. So interbeing is the truth. You cannot be by yourself alone. You have to interbe with the whole cosmos. So when you you confirm the existence of ill being, you have to confirm at the same time the opposite of ill-being. Ill-being cannot be by herself alone, like the right cannot be by herself alone, it has to interbe with the left. So if you being is there, something is there also, that is well-being. And well-being, that is the third noble truth. Logically speaking, if ill being is there, is there and then well being must be there somewhere. And in the scripture. Well-being is described as the cessation of ill-being. The cessation of ill-being means the presence of well-being, the same thing. Just like the absence of darkness means the presence of light. When God says, let the light be, and the light says, I have to wait, My Lord, and God said, what are you waiting for? I wait for darkness so that we will manifest together. And God said, but darkness is already there. And Light said, in that case, I am already there. (laughs) That is the truth of interbeing. So when you you confirm the existence of ill-being, you have to confirm at the same time the truth of well being, like the left and the right. And when you look deeply into the nature of your being, you discover the second truth, which is the way of life that has brought. Ill-being to you. You see the roots of ill-being. You see the causes of ill-being. You see the way of life. You you see the the path leading to ill-being. And uh, if you don't look into ill-being, you cannot see the second noble truth, which is uh, the path leading to ill-being. Suppose someone has a depression, that depression is ill-being. And if uh, he or she has the time to look deeply into her depression, she will find out how that ill-being has come to be. You must have lived in such a way in the last six, six months or one year so that Ill be, uh, the depression has become a reality. So, looking into the first Noble Truth, you see the second Noble Truth, the path leading to ill-being, to suffering. And The Buddha said this, what has come to be, namely ill-being, what has come to be if you know how to look deeply into its nature and discover the sort of nutriment you have, you have ill enough to, 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 to bring it in. You are already on the path of emancipation. And the Buddha spoke on the Second Noble Truth in terms of nutriment, food. We can speak of the Second Noble Truth in terms of path, the path leading to ill-being the way of life that lead to ill-being, to suffering. But in the Buddhist tradition, uh, very often we speak of the second noble truth in terms of food, in terms of uh, nutriment. And the Buddha declared that nothing can survive without food, including your ill-being. If you deprive your ill-being with food, your ill-being will die if your depression continues, because you keep feeding your depression. And if you look into your depression and find out the kind of nutriment you have used to feed your depression, you are already on the path of emancipation. That is why the first noble truth is noble. Because when you look into it, you can discover the other truth, including the truth of well-being, including the truth of the path leading to well-being. Your love, which is so beautiful, so precious, if you don't know how to feed it, it will die. It will turn into something else, like anger or hate. Nothing can survive without food. Your suffering also, your anger. If your anger continues because you continue to feed your anger, and if you cut off the source of nutriment feeding your anger, your anger will have to die. And that is why the Buddha said, nothing can survive without food. And well-being also needs nutrients in order to survive. Happiness. Your love, your happiness, your joy cannot survive without food. And if you have love, if you have happiness, you must learn how to feed your love, your happiness, so that it will not die. And if there is a path leading to ill being, and then there is also a path leading to well-being. And the Four Noble Truth can be explained as simply as this. This path is called Noble, Noble, Noble Path. It begins by right view. It's called a noble path because it leads to well-being. But the other path, it does not lead to well-being, it leads to ill-being. It's not a noble path, it is an ignoble path. And uh, when we see the path leading, to ill-being, you see at the same time the path leading to well-being, because this path is in the opposite direction. It's so easy, so simple. If uh, if uh, the path leading to well-being begins with right view, and then the path leading to ill-being begin with wrong views wrong views because you do not have the time to look deeply and you have wrong perceptions about yourself about the world about everything let us today talk about the four kind of nutriments It has to do with uh, the fifth uh, mindfulness trainings. The five uh, mindfulness trainings are a very concrete expression of the noble eightfold path, the path leading to well-being, the path leading to the cessation of ill-being, the way out. And the fifth, uh, the fifth uh, mindfulness training is about mindful consumption. Unmindful consumption will lead to ill-being. <coughs> and mindful consumption will lead to well-being. So the fifth mindfulness training is the way out for our society, the society of consumption. There is a, a sutra, very well known, the Sutra of, of the Sun's Flesh, talking about the four kinds of nutrients. The Buddha began by telling a story of a young couple of refugees. The story must have been a true story told by the Buddha by that young couple of uh, refugees. They tried to uh, flee the country with their little boy. and they had to cross a desert, but they have not uh, well calculated. That is why halfway to the desert, they run out of food, and they knew that all of them, three of them are going to die, are going to die. There's no hope to go to the other country to seek refuge. So finally decided to kill the little boy and eat the flesh with the hope to survive and get out of the desert terrible kind of decision. And each of them ate a piece of that flesh every day and kept the rest of the body to dry on the shoulder. And every day after having eaten one piece of that flesh, they cried, he is now our beloved little, little boy. And they pulled their hair, they beat their chest and they suffered. But finally they got out of the desert and was accepted as refugees. And the Buddha, after telling, having told the story to his monks, asked them, my dear friends, do you think that the couple enjoy eating their son's flesh? And uh, the monk said, no, dear teacher, it is impossible to enjoy eating one's own son's flesh. The Buddha said, in that case we should eat in such a way that can retain compassion in our heart. Otherwise we will be eating the flesh of our sons and daughters. And this is about the first kind of nutriment edible food. We know that uh, tens of thousands of children die every day in the world because of the lack of nutrition and food. And we have been using the grain, the amount of grain that we have grown in order to make alcohol and meat. We cut the forest, we pollute the air, the water. We destroy many forms of lives in order to have a piece of meat to eat, a glass of alcohol to drink that is equal to eating the flesh of our children, and drinking the blood of our children. And if we continue like that, there will be no compassion left in our heart. And without compassion, we cannot relate to another living being. We cannot be a happy person. That is why mindful eating help us to protect life, to preserve... Our understanding and compassion in our heart so that we can be a happy person. And we have learned from scientists that if we can reduce the eating of meat and the drinking of alcohol by 50%, we can already change the world. Eating meat is more polluting than driving a car. That is what we have learned. And we can help protect our environment. In Buddhist countries like Vietnam, many practitioners eat vegetarian 10 days a month. So it is easy to, to urge them to, to add 5 more days. And I have made such an appeal uh, to the Buddhists in Vietnam to increase the number of vegetarian days. So please uh, think about that. Nourish our compassion and our happiness. So the first uh, source of nutriment is uh, edible food. The second source of nutriment is sensory impression. Sense impression. We have six sense organs, eyes, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind consciousness. And we consume with our eyes, our ear, our nose, our body and our consciousness. We consume the internet, we consume music, we consume television, we consume magazines, books, conversations. And many of the items we consume are highly toxic. Even a conversation. A conversation may be full of hate, anger, and fear, and despair. And if we listen to one hour, we got a lot of toxins. We have to protect ourselves. We have to protect our children. So we should sit down as a family, as a community to discuss a strategy of consumption. And if you are in the city council, you might like to invite other members of your council to discuss about protecting the citizens in your city and the children in your city, because many of them are... Intoxicating themselves by the consumption, by that kind of consumption, sensory impressions. Our children watch television several hours a day. And we know that there are many programs of television that are full of violence, anger, and fear. And our children continue to ingest these kind of toxins into themselves. So there must be a kind of Dharma sharing, Dharma discussion in the family, in the city council, in order to protect ourselves and protect our children. Physical health, mental health. And the health of our society, the health of our planet. For this uh Second source of nutriment, the Buddha has used the image of a cow with skin disease. That cow has serious skin disease and she almost has no skin anymore. When she lies down, all the insects come and suck the blood. When she came close to a old world, the insects in that come out and suck the blood. And when she goes to the water, the mini creatures, tiny creatures, came and suck the blood. So she has no way to protect herself because she has no skin so if you do not have mindfulness of consumption we have no skin to protect ourselves we allow the sensory impressions to penetrate into our body and out to our mind and intoxicate when you drive through the city even if you don't want to consume you consume anyway The advertisement, the music, and what you hear, uh, you see, are items of consumption. So if we are a legislator, we should meditate on that. We should try to protect our people. We should prevent other people to get rich by producing the kind of products that intoxicate us and intoxicate our children. They cannot, in the name of freedom, intoxicate us and poison us by the product. Even film, uh, magazines, and books, and music and electronic games, and so on. We should have a national debate on this problem if we want to really to. to to preserve the health of our nation, our people. And if you are a journalist, educators, please meditate on this, write an article, and teach about mindful consumption. It's very important. <coughs> the third kind of nutriment is called volition. This is uh, (coughs) the deepest kind of desire of a person. That is food. What we want to do with our life. There are many other kinds of des- desires. Desire to have money, yeah, yeah, to have more comfort, uh, to have fame, to have uh, power and so on. But what is uh, your deepest desire? What do you want to do with your life? That is a, a desire. And if you have such a strong desire, you have a lot of energy. A person who has no desire has no energy. The Buddha also had desire: desire to get enlightened, to get free, to help many people. That is a wholesome desire. That is good volition. A terrorist has also a deep desire to punish, maybe in the name of God, to kill, to destroy, to punish. And that kind of desire may be based on anger, fear, uh, fanaticism. Wrong perceptions. And we have been feeding our deepest desire by this kind of, uh, of, uh, of views and afflictions. So the desire to revenge, to kill, to destroy is evolution, but it's not good food. If you have the desire to protect children, to protect the environment, and that is a good volition. So everyone should have the time to sit down and identify his or her deepest desire. And to find out whether that desire is constructive or destructive. If your desire is to run after cravings, the subjects of your objects of your craving, like uh, money, sex, power, fame, you might destroy your body and your mind by by these kind of uh, volitions. There are so many of us who have plenty of these uh, four things: power, uh, uh, fame. Wealth and sex, but they suffer very deeply. They destroy themselves and they destroy other people and the environment. And that is not good evolution. So, evolution is another source of of nutriment, of food, and we should sit down and identify our deepest desire. In the Buddhist tradition, there is uh, that intention to practice to transform yourself transform your afflictions to have more compassion and understanding to help people suffer less that's called the mind of enlightenment bodhicitta which is a very good kind of evolution. and if you have the equivalent of that you have a you are happy person and your life is useful to to humanity and other living beings. (laughs) And the fourth uh, uh, source of nutriment is called consciousness. Consciousness as food. First of all, our individual consciousness. Each of us has our individual consciousness, mental consciousness, and store consciousness. In our store consciousness, there may be a dark. Maybe we have been abused as a child in the past. We have suffered quite a lot as a child. And the memories of suffering are still there, very vivid. And it is in that corner of our store consciousness. And also that kind of suffering may have been transmitted to us by our parents, our ancestors. And many of us have the habit of going back to the past and suffer again and again the suffering of the past. We don't follow the teaching of the Buddha that the past is already gone. We should be able to enjoy the wonders of life in the present moment. But many of us cannot do that. Because the past has become a kind of prison. We are caught. And we go back always to the past and relive again and again the suffering of the past. There are films of the past projected in that dark corner. And we go back day and night and watch the film of suffering in the past. We need someone like a teacher or a friend to try to take us out of that dark corner of our consciousness. There are animals like cows or buffaloes, after they have eaten grass, they swallow. They have so many, many stomachs. They chew, they swallow, and then they bring it out again, and, and they they chew again. So we do exactly like that. We swallow, swallow our suffering, and we bring it up again, and we swallow again and again. And that is not good food. Not consciousness as as food. The materials in our in individual consciousness should be recognized and transformed, and should not continue to be a source of nutriment for us. And as a practitioner, now we have to be aware of that. We should stop consuming the past, consuming the suffering of the past. We should try to be in the here and the now. Uh, profit from the light, from the beauty of uh, the cosmos, of the earth, to nourish us, to help us strong in order to transform, even illuminate that corner, dark corner in our consciousness you need a friend, a teacher, a sangha, maybe a psychotherapist to help you to get out of that prison and learn to live deeply in the present moment to heal. And then there is the collective consciousness. Collective consciousness can be very wholesome. Like when we come to a retreat like this, and one thousand three hundred people breathing together, smiling together, working together, we produce a very handsome, a wholesome energy of peace and joy, and that is a very good nutriment, very good food. Last year, while giving a dharma talk in northern Germany, I saw. For young mothers sitting in the front row and nursing their babies. Of course, the baby did not understand the talk.. <laughs> but they inherited the benefit from a peaceful, loving atmosphere in the home. They were receiving two kinds of food at the same time: the milk from the mother's breast and the atmosphere of peace and brotherhood and sisterhood generated by the practice in the home. So as a sangha, we can can produce that kind of collective, wholesome energy of peace and compassion that can help to heal and to transform. That is why building a sangha is a very noble thing to do. After the retreat, maybe you would like to go home with intention, volition, to build a Sangha, to do walking, sitting, breathing, to generate that collective energy of peace and brotherhood. And many people in the neighborhood can come and inherit from that. But there are neighborhoods who are full of anger and fear and hate. And the collective energy of anger and despair is so destructive. If you happen to spend a few days in that neighborhood, you feel feel that you suffer. And if you happen to settle in that neighborhood, you should know that you have to pull out as quickly as possible. Otherwise, you will be like them, thinking, acting, In a hateful way, in a violent way, and your children will do that. Not because we want to abandon the suffering people, but we have to take care of ourselves first. We have to pull out and heal ourselves. And if we can go back in strength as a Sangha, we can help that neighborhood to transform. You know, the collective, a collective, Energy of uh, hate, of anger, of fear is very destructive. It leads to killing. It leads to committing suicide. On the day, on the day of the September eleventh, I was in America on a speaking tour. We had to offer uh, retreats and Dharma talks, and I felt that collective energy of anger and fear in America is so, so dangerous. So the first uh, public talk I gave was uh, three days after after September 11 in Berkeley. Four thousand people attended. and uh, as uh, I asked uh, all the monas, uh, all members of the monastic Sangha to join me and help the crowd to practice calming because uh, the feeling of anger and fear is so overwhelming, we practice uh, breathing, calming. We know that uh, acting reacting with that kind of consciousness, uh, uh, collective consciousness of fear and anger is very dangerous. And a number of days later, I gave uh, another talk of the Riverside Church in New York City and, and encouraged people to practice the same kind of practice Canada. When I board the plane to go to another city, I could feel the anger and the fear of everyone sitting in the plane. And the pilot tried to say something to cheer people up, but uh, he he did not succeed. And that is why we should not. Uh, allowed ourselves to consume that collective energy of, uh, of fear, anger and despair. It is not good for our health and not good for the health of our children. If that neighborhood produces so much hate and despair and anger, we should not continue to be there because if we do, we will be like them very quickly. Our children, also. That is why we have to learn to protect ourselves, and try our best to come back to help when we are stronger. This is the four kind of nutriments that the Buddha uh, talk, uh, spoke about. And uh, I have a friend who uh, who is. Uh, in the faculty of the Department of Nutrition in Harvard University. She wrote a book, saver on eating, mindful eating. And I advised her to print the text, the whole text of the sutra inside. Mindful consumption is the way out. And this is a national problem. It's a world problem, not only a family problem. We know that the Five Mindfulness Trainings represent the noble, hateful path, a path of happiness, and joy and love. And if we live according to the Five Trainings, we can experience happiness, joy and compassion every day. And the path begins with the right view. Right view is a kind of insight, the kind of wisdom that is free from any kind of discrimination. The Buddha spoke very often about right view because right view is the foundation of all kinds of actions. Based on right view, you have right thinking, you have right speech, and right action that can promote peace and happiness but how to have right view and we know that the practice of mindfulness the practice of concentration always lead to right view This is a right uh, concentration. And another energy is uh, related to that, that is uh, the energy of mindfulness. And we know already that the energy of mindfulness carries within itself the energy of concentration and insight. And sometimes insight can come very quickly. If you have the list of mental formations, And if you look into the five particulars, you see that the five particulars are intention, determination, mindfulness, concentration and insight. You have the name in Chinese. And Sanskrit, this is a Smriti, this is a Samadhi, this is a Mati, or Prasnya. We know that mindfulness is a kind of energy that helps us to be aware of what is going on in our body, in our feelings, in our perceptions and in the objects of our perceptions. The energy of mindfulness helps us to be fully present in the here and the now so that we can get in touch with uh, the wonders of life that can nourish us and heal us. And uh, mindfulness always helps increase concentration and together mindfulness and concentration can bring insight. An insight of many layers, an insight can be obtained very quickly. When you breathe in mindfully and if you concentrate on your inness, you may find out very simple things, like you are alive. Breathe, I breathe in, and I find out that I am alive, that I have a body. I know I have a body that is already an inside. I am alive, I am fully present in the here and the now. That is an inside. Breathing in, I know I am alive. And to be alive is a miracle. It is the greatest of all miracles to be alive. And it is so simple, as you breathe in, you know that you are alive. Because someone who is already dead, she cannot breathe in anymore. As you breathe in, you know that you are alive. And when you breathe out, you can already celebrate the fact that you are still alive. Your lungs are still strong enough to enjoy your in-breath. Your feet are strong enough to touch the earth with every step. So many, many conditions of happiness are available. So insight continues to come like that, with uh, mindfulness and concentration. Breathing in, I know I am aware of my eyes. And I find out that my eyes are still in good conditions. Breathing in, I am aware of my heart, and the insight is that my heart still functions normally, so inside are not something very far away. You can get many of them right in the present moment with the energy of mindfulness and concentration. And you go deeper and deeper thanks to mindfulness and concentration. One day, a monk whose name is Gatyayana, came to ask the Buddha, Dear teacher, you often speak about right-view. What is right-view exactly? And that day the Buddha said, Well, right-view is a kind of insight that transcends the notion of being and non-being. And this statement is found in a very famous uh, sutra, which is short but very important. Let us... uh Visualize time as something that flows from left to right. And let us suppose that this point is called B, birth. Someone is born here. And is going to die, there. When you, when you give rise to the notion of birth, the other notion is born at the same time, death. Interbeing. Birth cannot be without death, and death cannot be without birth. Interbeing. So this is our way of thinking. The usual way of thinking. That to be born means from nothing you become something. From no one you become someone. That is our thinking. And that kind of thinking is described by Buddha as wrong thinking. Meanwhile, basing on right view, your thinking is called right thinking. Thinking is that before point B, you do not exist. You belong to the realm of non-being. So the segment ending with B represents non-being. And the segment beginning with B represents being. And you continue to be (laughs) until you come to a point called D, death. (laughs) That's uh, the way the majority of us think. And uh, when you come to point D, you cease to be and you pass from being into Non being again. And this kind of thinking is not right thinking. Because according to the Buddha on that day, right thinking. Is the kind of inside the ten the notion of being and non-being. And when we meditate on a cloud, we see that the reality of a cloud transcends the notion of birth and death, being and non-being. A cloud has not come from non-being, this is very clear, easy to see. A cloud has not come from non-being, a cloud has come from the water in the ocean, the steam, the heat generated by the sun. It's like uh, the sheet of paper before she expresses herself as a sheet of paper, she had been the trees in the forest. So we can see her former life while we look at her. So the sheet of paper has not come from nothing. So there is no birth, only a transformation. A transformation from water, from steam into the cloud. So, the true nature of uh, the cloud is the nature of no birth. Birth is only on the surface. There is no birth, there is only a transformation from one uh, form into another form. And then, when the cloud becomes the rain, this not death. Yes, because. To die means from something you become nothing. But a cloud cannot become nothing. Cloud change her form into the rain, into the snow. So there's no death. And it's interesting enough to see that some of our scientists agree with that. Lavoisier said nothing is created, nothing died. He was not a Buddhist practitioner, but he practiced meditation his own way. He found the nature of no birth and no death of energy and matter. And we know that the first law of thermodynamics is that you cannot create matter, you cannot destroy matter. You cannot create energy, you cannot destroy energy, you can transfer. When transform matter into another kind of matter, matter into energy, energy into another kind of energy, energy back into matter, but their nature is the nature of no birth and no death. And if we apply that into our thinking about life, our, our personal life, we may transcend the fear of birth and death. And the, nat- the nature of no birth and no death applied is seen in matter and energy. And we, the person, the human person, is also matter and energy. So looking into a cloud, we see that birth and death are only the appearance. Looking deeply, we see the nature of the cloud as nature of no birth and no death. And deep thinking, deep reflection help remove the notion of birth and death. And practitioners of meditation and scientists can work hands in hands, and try to work together. And if the couple, birth and death, the pair of opposite birth and death, are removed, and then the notion of being and non-being are removed at the same time. Because if there is no death, no birth, and then there is no being and no non-being. The notion of being and non-being cannot be applied to reality. Because we believe that to be born is from non-being, if we pass into the realm of being, and to die from the realm of being into the realm of non-being again. And that is why that day the Buddha told Katiyai. Yayana, right view is the kind of wisdom the kind of insight the tense and the notion of birth of of, uh, of uh, being and non-being there are four kinds of uh, four basic kinds of opposites birth and death being and non-being Sameness and otherness, coming and going. There are many pairs of opposite, but these four pairs are, um, represents all the other pairs of opposite. There is another pair of opposite which is very important. Which is uh, subject and object, and many of our scientists are still caught in in the notion of object and subject as uh, as the things can be can exist outside of each other. And. Uh, Even in the realm of neuroscience, many people continue to think dualistically of consciousness and nature. Consciousness is something subjective in here. And trying to reach out to understand nature out there. So there is the subject, and the object as to separate things. There is the inside and the outside as to separate things. And that is still caught in the dualistic thinking. Two pairs of opposite: inside, outside, subject and object. So right thinking, on our left, is the thinking that is free from all these discrimination, these pairs of opposites, birth and death, being and non-being, coming and going, the same uh, sameness and otherness. I think we have to say something about this. To make it clearer, when you look into the family album, you see your picture as a five year old girl. You see your picture as a five year old boy. And you may ask, Am I the same person with that little boy or little girl? You are not the same because you look so different. <laughs> your form, your feelings, your perceptions, your mental formation, your consciousness are quite different from the five elements of the little girl, little boy. And yet you are not another person. So are you the same with that uh, little little boy, little, girl, or you are a completely different person? So the notion of sameness and otherness should be removed. The truth lies somewhere in between, and in Buddhism, we use the word uh, the middle way. The middle way that transcends the pairs of opposite including birth, death, being, non-being, sameness and otherness. And coming and going. We are thinking about the flame. And do you think that the flame now belongs to the realm of being or non-being? Do you think that it belongs to the realm of non-being? Since it has not manifested to us that it belongs to the realm of non-being? I know that the little flame is hidden somewhere. Not only inside of the box but outside. Outside here there is oxygen, and without oxygen, as an important condition, a flame cannot manifest. So the flame is already there, hidden in many of its conditions. And my two fingers can be one of the last conditions in order to invite the flame to manifest. Dear little flame, why don't you? Show yourself. Manifest for us. Dear Thai, Sangha, I am ready, but I need the last condition, a movement of your fingers. Here we can see the flame manifested. And we believe that it now belongs to the realm of being before the manifestation, it belongs to the realm of non-being. We are caught in these two terms. and The expression inter-being can be helpful. It can help us remove the notion of being and non-being. There are theologians who describe God as the ground of being. Like poor Tillich. And you may like to ask, dear Mr. Tillich, if God is the ground of being, and then who will be the ground of non being? You cannot describe God in terms of being or non being, because God, the absolute, the ultimate, transcends the notions of being and non being. To be or not to be. That is not the question. (laughs) Now should we ask, my dear little flame, where are you gone? Where have you gone? Where have you come from? And where have you gone? I miss you. We miss you. And if you listen, you can hear the the answer. Dear Thai, dear Sangha, I have come from nowhere. I have not come from Italy, I have not come from Sweden, I have not come from the north, the south, the east and the west. When conditions are sufficient, I manifest myself. My nature is no coming. My nature is non-local. And we know that the flame has told the truth. Her nature is no coming. There was a um, a nine-year-old girl who came from the Netherlands to our summer retreat in Plumbridge. And she was so good a practitioner. She played, she helped many other children. And the sisters in the new hamlet invited her to come next year to help. She, she would not have to pay anything. And she said, how many weeks do I have to spend here? The, the, the nun said, four weeks because the summer opening is... Uh, two or uh, four weeks, and she said that I have only six, uh, six weeks uh, uh, of vacation. But the nun said, well, here you only play, you don't do anything. Where are you f- from? Uh, I am from the Netherlands, but uh, speaking in Thai way, I have come from nowhere. The children in their demo talk, we receive a lot of teaching. We think that they don't pay attention but they understand a lot of things. Dear, my dear little flame, where have you gone? I miss you. Now we ask that question when one of our beloved one is no longer in her usual form. We cry, we spend time grieving, we need meditation to suffer less, to get out of our despair. Dear Beloved One, where have you gone? I miss you. And the flame say, Dear Thayde Sangha, I have not gone anywhere. When conditions are sufficient, I manifest. And when conditions are no longer sufficient, I just stop my manifestation, waiting for conditions to manifest again in other forms, and that is the truth. And there, there are four pairs of opposites that represent many pairs of opposite: birth and death, being and non-being sameness and otherness coming and going. And right view is a kind of view that transcends all these notions. And when you transcend the notion of birth and death, being and non-being, you are free from any kind of fear and discrimination. That is why any thought that you produce based on that right view is right thinking. And good practitioners are capable of producing thoughts like that several times a day in the line, in the direction of, of right thinking. Full of understanding, free from discrimination, full of compassion. And as you produce a thought of understanding and love, that thought begins to heal you and begin to heal the world. Right thinking, that is good practice. You don't need anything. You don't need money or electronic device, you don't need anything. With that kind of right view, you can produce thoughts full of understanding and love that have the power to heal you and heal the world. If someone produces a thought full of hate and despair, that will destroy himself and destroy the world. A thought of uh, anger and despair can lead someone to suicide, committing suicide or to go and kill someone. But a thought produced on the on the ground of uh, right view is always full of understanding and compassion and has the power to heal us and heal the world. And then next to right thinking, you have right speech, Tangle. right speech, and uh, deep listening, compassionate listening. This is uh, this is uh, the practice of the fourth. Uh, mindfulness training. And we already learned that the practice of uh, compassionate listening and loving and speech can restore communication and bring about reconciliation in a few hours or four or five days of practice. And when we listen deeply and with compassion, we can help heal the other person. We can restore communication. I think children now in our time they suffer a lot. And because they suffer, adults have to suffer also. If you are a school teacher, you cannot, uh, you have to suffer, you have to suffer because the students in your class are full of suffering. Some of the children have come from broken families and uh, nobody has understood them, nobody has listened to them. So if we can bring that kind of practice into school, it will help heal the children and also heal the teacher. In order to succeed in our task of uh, teaching and learning, we have to economize, economize our energy. Because if we suffer like that, we lose a lot of energy. And you do not have enough energy to teach and to learn. And that is why sessions of deep listening can be organized in school. And the administration of the school should understand this. The teacher has suffering in himself or herself. And the students, every one of them, have suffering. And if uh, we can sit down, and listen to each other. The students should know the difficulties and suffering of the teacher. And after they have learned that, their behavior will change. And the teacher should be able to listen, to sit down and listen to the suffering of the students. And the whole class can practice sitting down and breathe and listen to each other. That will not be a loss of time, that will create a mutual understanding. and They will be able to collaborate with each other in making the learning and the teaching more pleasant, a joy for both teachers and students. I think a Dharma discussion should be organized on this matter. The fourth mindfulness training deep listening, compassionate listening, and loving speech Uh, can be very well uh, practiced in school so that uh, mutual understanding will be possible between students and students, students and teachers, and then we can save a lot of energy for the sake of learning and teaching. When you write a letter, that is uh, right speech. If you write a letter full of understanding and compassion, the healing is taking, taking place right when while you are writing the letter. You feel wonderful, you feel light, you feel healed if you can write a letter of, uh, full of understanding and compassion and forgiveness. The other person has not read the letter, but the letter already has an effect on you. And uh, the practice of the fourth uh, mindfulness training, loving speech and deep listening can help uh, reconcile and bring peace and reconciliation uh, uh, communication. And uh, right speech is of course uh, free of all kind of uh, discrimination and fear and anger because uh, it is based on the insight of interbeing. And now comes the right action. This is the kind of action taken by our body. Anything we do with our body that can help protect, save, support is called right action. We protect lives, we protect the environment, we preserve life. And uh, these are three aspects of our action. In Buddhism, uh, we have uh, the word karma, which means action. Yep. Triple, triple karma. Your action is uh, triple. Your thinking, your speaking, and your acting. And nothing is lost. This is the kind of energy that you produce every day. A thought that you produce is energy it will not be lost. If uh, yesterday you have uh, it happened that you have produced a thought of anger and you know that uh, it will not be profiting for yourself and for the world. And today, with enlightenment, you sit down and produce another thought. Another thought in the line of uh, right thinking, full of compassion, full of understanding. And if, uh, if you produce such a thought, it will transform the thought of yesterday, neutralize it, delete it some way and you have a power over the past. You can change the past by making good use of the present moment. And you get the healing. So uh, any thought that you produce will have an effect in the future. Anything you say or write down will continue to be there as energy. Everything you do also karma. That is your continuation. When your body didn't you continue ways. You cannot die. It's impossible for you to die. You continue ways, And you can assure a better continuation, a more beautiful continuation by producing thoughts, speech and action in the line of right thinking, right speech. And right action. This uh, this action, this karma, is you, and not this body. There is a French uh, writer, philosopher. His name is Jean-Paul Sartre. He said something very close with Lom. Man is the totality of his action. Man is not this body, these feelings, but the action that will last for a long time, that will be revealed in other forms, like like a cloud that is that has acid in it will produce acid rain. So, if uh, our thinking, our speech, and our action are full of compassion and understanding, and then you will have a beautiful continuation. You cannot die; you continue always. You a fail. Therefore, with uh, the practice of mindfulness and concentration, you can get. The deepest insight that is called insight of interbeing, transcending the notion of birth and death, being and non-being, and therefore every thought you produce, everything that you say, every act that you do, will bring only happiness and well-being to you and to the world. And this is the first six elements of the four of the noble. A four path and uh, two others elements which is uh right livelihood then man. The kind of job, the kind of uh, career that you take up, the way you earn your life uh, should reflect uh, the inside of in the inner being and therefore is not harming to other species and harming to the environment. And finally you have uh, right jenkang, um, right diligence. This we have learned already. That is uh, the practice of selective watering. You water the good seed in you, you water the good seed in her, in him, and you refrain from water, watering the negative seed in you and in him. And this is uh, the path called the noble path. Presented by the five mindfulness trainings, and uh, one thing that should be said concerning this: the third noble truth, which is the well-being, and the fourth uh, noble truth is the path of well-being. It is better to say the path of well-being than to say the path leading to well-being. Because uh, this is a a dualistic thinking. This is the goal, well-being. And this is the path. And you might think that you have to suffer on the path in order to begin to to experience the well-being when you arrive, that is not right thinking. There is no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. There is no nirvana. Nirvana is the way. Because uh, with a strong mindfulness and concentration you can touch the inside of nirvana with every step. The nature of no birth and no death no-being and no-non-being. Nirvana is available in the here and the now. The true nature of everything is nirvana. No birth, no death, no being, no non-being. And if you touch nirvana, fear is no longer there, anger is no longer there. There is no way to nirvana. Nirvana is the way. There, There is no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. You should be happy while breathing in. You should be happy while breathing out. You should be happy while doing the dishes. When You should be happy while defecating or urinating. Happiness is possible at any time of the day with insight. And insight is possible with mindfulness and concentration. You are already what you want to become. You belong to the Kingdom of God. You belong to the realm of, uh, uh, to the pure land of the Buddha. And that is um, the practice of uh, aimlessness that we will talk about in our uh, Dharma talk, in our next Dharma talk after tomorrow. Tomorrow we have a, que- a session of questions and answers.